0: Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name is Vry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor for Anime Feminist. I do stuff all over the internet. You can throw my name into Google, or you can find me on Twitter, at Writer or on the other podcast I co-host, at Trashpod. And with me today uh, are Amelia, Lizzie, and Jax, if you guys want to introduce yourselves.
1: Hi, I'm Amelia Cook. I'm the editor-in-chief of Anime Feminist and you can find me on Twitter at ActuallyAmelia and you can find all of Anime Feminist's work at AnimeFeminist and AnimeFeminist.com.
2: My name is Jacqueline Cottrell. Am I better known as Jax? I am with Noir Cesar Entertainment. Um, I am their spokesmodel and representative and PR and uh, I am all about making sure that black women are heard in the world of anime, manga, video games and just all people all day, all people of diverse colors are heard in this world that we all love so much. Uh,
3: my name is Lizzie. Uh, you know me on Twitter as that nerdy Boliviane, at Lizzie Visitante. You can find me on Twitter and uh, Instagram, but I don't do, use Instagram that much. I used to write for Anime Complexion, but it has since shut down. You can find some of my older work uh, republished on ShoujoPower.com and my newer stuff on Black Girl Nerd and Anime Feminist.
0: Um, So I wanted to bring up for this one uh, an interesting fact about Michiko and Hachin. In addition to the fact that most of the major people on the production are people who don't usually work in anime. This is the only one of Yamamoto's three directed series that was directed by a man, uh, Takashi Ujita. And he is normally a film screenwriter who's I haven't seen any of his films, but I did a little bit of deep dive Googling. Uh, he gets a lot of talk around his films for being like writing movies about women's sexuality, which on the one hand, mm, okay, but I can also see why that kind of caused his work to catch Yamamoto's eye. I-, I will say that his most recent film screenplay in 2015 was for a film called My Man, which is about a, a young girl who was orphaned in the wake of, uh, of an earthquake and is then begins a sexual relationship with her adopted father. Oh. And we're acting like this is a very deep thing. Oh, oh yeah. my
2: God. That sounds... Yeah. That sounds everything like... I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the series Usagi Drop. Yes. Oh, oh, gosh. I, yes. I would have no, 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 absolutely I, loved that series had it ended where it ended in the first season. And then I read the manga, and yeah. I was so disgusted.
3: I was so mad. I was, I was so mad, like... Oh, that that whole second half just needs to burn.
0: Yeah, I know. It's so bad. There is only the anime. It's fine. So, yeah, I guess I just bring it up partially because I wanted to ask it if if it feels different to you than other Yamamoto stuff you've seen because there is this very prominent male voice in the way that there's not in her other work.
1: I mean, this feels like a really difficult one for me because I've only seen Yuri on Ice. I haven't seen The Woman Mm -hmm. Called Fujikamina yet. So, I, I mean, already my sample size is limited, but... As well, I have quite a complicated relationship with fan service, with representations of sexuality. I appreciate when women's representation of sexuality focuses on the, let's say, uh, focuses on kind of her agency and actually being sexual and not Mm -hmm. actually just her body. And I appreciate Mm -hmm. that there is a a mingling of the two and a delicate balance. And a lot of the time, I just don't appreciate the body side of it. And I more appreciate Mm -hmm. the actions side of it. So... Michiko, for example, um, ending up with the the married man and kind of that, uh, that interplay between them up to that point and the fact that she's not objectified mm-hmm. in that time, that felt really good. But then um, in this last crop of episodes, for example, we had her going to the tomato plant and I would love to know what you all thought of the fact that she ends up in a room with this woman who kind of forces a kiss on her and... It's I mean, that whole thing, I feel really uncomfortable kind of almost expressing any opinions on because it was just never going to be for me. And I wonder, am I looking at it and thinking this was obviously kind of a man's fantasy because that's kind of how I've been conditioned to think. But does, for example, would a queer person look at that and say, oh, no, that feels really like like there's something in there that resonates or that feels like an expression of sexuality that's kind of provocative, but within boundaries that I would consider acceptable so I'm really curious to know what you both think
0: yeah I I I kind of I find her a really interesting character as far as the kiss goes on the one hand it's like all right you shouldn't have you you should not Mm -hmm. kiss a person who's not consenting that's not great but I also kind of enjoy the casualness of it and the fact that she's not a mustache twirling (laughs) deviant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, that like, like the very
0: the, the <laughs> like extreme the extremely casual bisexuality kind of delights me and it, that feels more like that that feels like Yamamoto to me
1: mm-hmm. having
0: having seen her other stuff
3: yeah like that whole like I, I, I was sitting there trying to really figure that out I mean I like how actually not very laid back she was I mean the kiss you know yeah, that was uncomfortable because, well, it, no matter what, it should be consensual. But I don't know, like, I felt like she was, I mean, she didn't have to help Michiko and Hachin escape the tomato plant in the end, but she still did it anyway. And I don't know, like, I felt like in a weird way, this was her own, because we get more flashbacks of, uh, um, what's his name, Hiroshi. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like maybe she was just support, like, trying to find her own way to kind of get over him and like maybe su- by supporting ha- Ch- uh, michiko yeah like she'll, that's her own journey to face but i don't know like i wish there was more on her like but yeah it's just i don't know i was paying more attention to michiko at the, that time because throughout all of it i was just like oh my god michiko stop chasing after this asshole <laughs> he's not worth it you <laughs> know
1: yeah I mean it's just it's just one example but it was it was a moment where I was like oh this just feels like some guy yeah wants to and kiss and I know that I've got my own lens is very blinkered here because I'm not a queer person so it's instantly I have the suspicion of wait is this is this legitimately something I should be objecting to or is this sometime I should just like keep quiet and listen to people who have a stake in this kind of story so the
3: kiss felt really random i didn't feel like it was mm-hmm. needed necessary at all i was like okay you know and even like the way some the way some scenes were shot it's like when she's biting into the tomato and like it's like like oh, like yeah. like i don't know it's dripping from her lip in a it's very so manner. unnecessary i was just like <laughs>
1: I was just like, ooh, gross.
3: (laughs) It is, is, but
0: at the same time, I think I get what they are going for because this is when when Michiko is like at the height of paranoia and and seeing this woman as like, you know, the ultimate temptress who, who stole her man away and she's still trying to convince herself of that narrative. So, through her lens, of course, all of these things would seem extremely sexual, but I think the place where it kind of falls down is that we're not necessarily locked into Michiko's perspective. Like we hop around with and spend time with a bunch of different characters, even when Michiko's not there. So that makes it feel a little bit less, you know, tinted by Michiko's perspective and more like, okay, you're just (laughs) you're just doing the thing.
1: And I wonder, is that is that the influence of having such a prominent male staff member and creative team or is I think it's one of those. The question you've asked is a really interesting one, and I don't feel even remotely equipped to answer it, having only seen two of her three shows. I, I just, it, it's
0: something I've been thinking about a lot because it's yeah. what, it, my conspiracy hat on. I'm like, well, she's never <laughs> worked with a man after this. Oh, <laughs> ha, has she not? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I have i have absolutely no, both of um, Mitsuro Kubo is the head writer for Yurian Ice, and uh, Mario Kata is the head writer oh. for the woman called Fuchiko Mine. I, I mean, there have been men on her staffs, but the writers of her other two shows are women. So, like, I have absolutely no proof that this was in any way less than a
1: harmonious working relationship. But I'm like, okay, <laughs> hey, this is a pattern. I can't believe you just made a conspiracy theory up on the Anime Feminist podcast, right? <laughs> it's
3: a, I That's what I do. It's a conspiracy. And conspiracy theorist. I support that
1: conspiracy theory. So. <laughs> okay. Anime feminist <laughs> takes no stance on this conspiracy theory which has come out of nowhere. <laughs> However, we do appreciate women's creatives working with other women creatives. I don't know how common that is in anime, but I would imagine just the the relative scarcity mm-hmm. of talent at that level makes it quite unusual.
0: And she seems to be she, she seems to want to do yuri on ice like for the foreseeable future and also all of her individual shows are 4 years apart, so who knows when we will see a new joint project, so (laughs) I'm just spinning my wheels now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, I I don't know, it's like, I was just, when uh, when you you word it like that, I think back to the previous times, Michiko has had like, these attacks of paranoia about Hiroshi cheating on her with someone else, or even feeling guilt, about maybe of the idea of moving on. And, I don't know, I just feel like the way her paranoia was handled in earlier episodes were was very different compared to what we saw now. Maybe this is just the height of her paranoia, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, it's now, she's kind of subconsciously realizing that Hiroshi's not really this great guy as she, like, mm-hmm. is amping him up to be. And, like, I don't know, I just feel like she can't handle the reality that he is a piece of shit.
1: Yeah, I can understand mm-hmm. her reactions being heightened because at the beginning of the series, she's kind of fighting against the the myth that's been created that he's been killed and she's the only one kind of shouting into the wind about it so it's really easy to have this idealized image whereas now she has a photo she has like new contacts she's really close relatively speaking I can completely understand being more frenzied at that point but yeah I mean to be honest mm-hmm. the jealous woman thing made me a bit uncomfortable at times it felt a little bit like watching like Jerry Springer at moments and I was like oh I made you go. don't do this it's it's one
0: of those things where, like, I I think the show is trying to say something about yeah, that no, the I shitty did. women be competing trope, but at the same time, it's also playing a little bit of a long. Mm. It, it's also playing a long game with it because, like, also a big focus of this episode is that Hiroshi is no like is this completely colorless, characterless man. He he's this this figure this that these women are chasing when he does nothing for them and mm. has basically no purpose. And, and this is all just a false ideal that they're all conforming their lives toward, which I I think makes Elise's actions interesting because I think the thing that I really love about this show and that I ended up writing about is that All of this is theoretically conforming to the fantasy of the woman who tries to get back her man and narratives about how men are the most important things in women's lives and they need to compete over them. Yeah, but but like the, the really important things in the episodes are women who help each other. And those are the things that actually make up the meat of these episodes. That's what the story spends time on is these women and their conversations and how they help each other achieve their goals and these conflicted but ultimately positive relationships. And I think that's really interesting and and really kind of neat.
3: Yeah, that's why in the end, even though we don't get so much on El- Elise, yeah, that's her name. Uh Elise, is like I like that in the end she helped Michiko and Hachin escape from the 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 tomato plant or whatever that was to Mm-hmm. like you know even though it's not it's she doesn't say it out loud like i feel like in a way it was kind of her quietly supporting michiko on her own journey to kind of maybe hopefully move on from hiroshi mm-hmm. when whenever mm-hmm. whenever she decides that she's ready for it you know uh, i don't i don't know like i don't know like that's how i felt like especially when she was talking to when she i mean she had no issues letting atsuko know <laughs> where the hell she was going but i don't know I just like imagine that last scene we see of her, and she's like staring into. She's on top of the building, just staring into nothing. It's like it's so great to move on. I was like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Finally, that somebody moved on from Hiroshi. God, I hate him.
1: I don't know. He's I feel, the worst. <laughs> I feel like you're you're all coming up with the most generous interpretations of the text, and I have not been anywhere near so kind in my view of it. I, I thought that she was I'm trying. sending Michiko off as punishment for to Hiroshi because she's like oh yeah he ran as soon as he knew you were coming Mm -hmm. and he just says I'm going and leaves and Michiko is clearly furious and like totally capable Uh, and I took it as her just being like okay you go deal with him you deserve each other and then she's like ah closure like, that was what I, I, I took from it. I like, I like that better. <laughs> you know? I'm trying, to, I'm tr- I'm trying
3: I, to find something to save in this because I was just like, oh, I just hate Hiroshi. I just want no, these women to move on. Yeah,
2: really, because I am I, 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 sorry, but I just hate that the series focuses so much on this poor girl's obsession of him to the point where it's just like, how are you still obsessing mm-hmm. over him? Because at this point, like, literally nobody likes this guy but you, for heaven's sake. Like, stop doing this to yourself.
3: Yeah, even like, even like, oh, what's her name? Hachin like she's a little kid but she has as she's you know she's actually listening to everyone about their interpretations of her dad and even she doesn't have any illusions about her dad Mm -hmm. like at at this point at this point I think she's just going along for the ride (laughs) I don't know like yeah he's a piece of crap.
1: And I'm not sure I agree like right I'd love for you to break this down for me a little bit more because you say these women have Mm -hmm. ultimately supportive relationships but again if I'm reading this as she's kind of sending Michiko off as punishment to Hiroshi and like thinking back for example to the uh, hairdresser I can't remember her name. Damn Alexandra. Oh right. Alexandra. Like maybe it was.
3: It began with um, an A. I remember that. Okay. That's
1: That's not that's not helpful. It was a Russian name beginning with A I think. Um, anyway, the, the hairdresser, I don't think that they ended up in a particularly positive place. It was, it, I I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't see these as particularly supportive relationships. Mm-hmm. I think Michiko and Hachin is the most supportive it gets, and that is pff, a mixed bag at best.
0: Maybe I'm coming at it uh, because, you know, I, I started with Yamamoto with, with Women Called Fuchiko Mine, which is a very metatextual show, so, like, I'm looking at it sort of metatextually, like, if, if the starting place for... Um, if we consider the starting place for this show, the traditional narrative is a love story, is a heterosexual love story between men and women. And where do relationships between women fit in? The first thing you do is, all right, what does this narrative structure look like? If you keep everything the same, you take out the mm-hmm. man. So you have, you end up with a focus on conversations between women, on relationships between women. Some of what, yeah, you're right there. And, and, you know, negativity and, and competitiveness will be part of that. But without this theoretical great object there, it it makes it seem very odd and warped and nonsensical in a way that I think it's meant to like, why are you doing this? There's no point to this. Isn't this Mm -hmm. kind of stupid? And then that's paired with, with, with episodes like about Hachina and Rita's friendship, um, which is shown to be like, you know, and enduring, you know, I have my doubts about how well Rita's going to do, but the the text ends it on this note of like, we're going to meet again and it's going to be positive. This is going to be a lasting thing. Whereas, you know, the, the, the love story, quote unquote, in, in this patch of episodes is like, this is a fleeting thing that isn't going to last. This is somebody met somebody else and they had a connection, but it's not going to be an enduring staple of who this person becomes. And like Atsuko and Michiko really, uh, have this relationship that has shaped the course of their lives. And Michiko and Hatchin are clearly like, despite coming together over, we need to find this guy that the growth and strength of their relationship together is part of what's helping them grow as people. So as much as the, the super text is, wow, there's this guy and women sure do care about men and relationships with men. I feel like, and maybe it's, it's me watching the show for a second time and and giving it that rating, but it, I can see a groundwork of, okay, but these are the important things. These are the lasting things that we're going to focus on.
1: I feel like there's a difference between the way that Hachin's relationships are handled and the way that Michiko's relationships are handled. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like, because Hachin does get the supportive relationship. She does have this healthy relationship with Rita. She does have this healthy relationship with La Nina, I think his name is. And Mm -hmm. these are are positive relationships in her life and they have to end because she moves on, but they end on positive notes. Whereas all of Michiko's, kind of relationships that she comes across they end with people kind of letting her out of trouble i think but i wouldn't mm-hmm. go so far as to call that actively supportive in the way that for example rita was actively supportive to Hachin, and the mm-hmm. way that Hachin was actively supportive to rita the only person that it mm-hmm. seems is actively supportive in michiko's life is probably hatchin herself mm-hmm. but again I, <laughs> I don't know i'm coming at this no no the i think this is interesting generous reading possible but Michiko's, Michiko's relationship seem very bleak to me. They don't seem kind of positive in any way. Atsuko is like, we need to talk about Atsuko because we got a great Atsuko episode. Yes,
3: she's a mess, and I love her. Uh, I, like, finally, I can have I have so much to say about Atsuko now that we have more episode
1: centric uh, episodes of her, so I was like, oh yes. Ats- I mean Atsuko had her own odd relationship in her episode too that I didn't I didn't really get. So I'm hoping that your discussion will help kind of clarify that for me
3: yeah so I don't know I took Vanessa to be like a mirror almost a mirror image of Michiko and like so much of what Vanessa does frustrates Atsuko I don't know I I really resonated with Atsuko's frustrations in in this episode a lot Mm -hmm. just because like because I mentioned this earlier that for the most part a lot of the women in the show are really they're idealized you know happy like fantasy world or like their safe world is like this like heterosexual relationships yeah Mm -hmm. and and like i feel like for me like i'm like i'm so frustrated why does like the future for y'all have to look so heter, like so heteronormative yeah (laughs) i I saw that note and i I couldn't
2: wait to get to that note um that's something that i always pay attention to when it comes to anime particularly during this show it's something i'm paying more and more and more and more attention to just like how We're really starting to notice all of these disgusting things about Hiroshi and just how, you know, maybe having a male screenwriter for this project may have made it may have made it kind of. uh, I don't want to say stereotypical, but that's the only word that I can think of right now. And so whenever I look at a whenever I look at anything that involves any kind of relationship, I look to see how um, uh, just queer relationships are viewed. And uh it does kind of make it seem like this, the only way that there's any, any kind of heterosexual relationship, heteronormative relationship, excuse me, is going to be happy. But at the same time, it's just like, then you've got all the screwed up relationships. So it's just like, what message are you trying to send us here? Because it's not a positive one about heteronormative relationships or queer relationships. So it's like, pick a fight. Like we can't quite understand what you're trying to say, or at least I personally can't understand what they're trying to say.
3: Yeah. Cause like, we don't, We only get a. We only get a hint of Vanessa's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. She, like, like me, like Michiko. She goes off on a journey to try to find him, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like a, another messy uh, relationship. That I'm glad I'm not going to be following.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but Atsuko helps her. Uh, yeah. And to the yeah. point. To the point of risking her own life, I, and I was just so lost. But I don't, I don't get her motivations. I think I haven't connected with Atsuko at all. I enjoy her mm-hmm. as a character, but I don't get her.
0: I this is my favorite episode of the se- uh, of the series, <laughs> um, actually. I can understand that. for For me, it is. I I think um, Atsuko's thing with with Vanessa is partly obviously that that she connects her with with. Young Michiko Michiko, because we keep having those flashbacks but I also think that Atsuko is really struggling during this episode like her character struggle is she's been betrayed by the police um, she let Michiko go she um it this whole thing with Satoshi is going to come around and bite her in the ass and she's they mentioned during this episode that Oh, you're crooked, aren't you? You played both sides. Why don't you just embrace that part of yourself? And I think Atsuko is struggling in that I think she wants to, she wanted to make it legit or she told herself that she wanted to make it legit, but maybe part of her also resents that. She resents this system that sold her out as soon as it could because it resents her very existence. But she also doesn't want to end up in this position that Michiko is in, so she doesn't know how to find a place for herself and that that's a lot of what she's doing in this backwater town in the middle of nowhere so when she looks at Vanessa she's like I see this kid who reminds me of of Michiko and maybe I can save this kid and save myself and figure out what the hell is going Mm -hmm. on with my life because she wants she's trying to push her to to Go legit, and as the gayest human on earth, she's like, Why are you
3: as going the after this man? On yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just, yes, no disagreements. Yes, oh my god, and it's, it's a, yes.
0: And and so, like, it ends up being this thing where, like, you know, Vanessa is is resentful and totally a teenager about the whole thing, but ultimately, she has this positive role model, and that I think maybe that's how Atsuko makes peace for herself is that this system is fucking her over and she hasn't figured everything out, but she was able to be helpful at, to this one person. She was able to make a difference to this one person in a struggling place that she was at when she was mm-hmm. younger. And I, I, it's just a really great character episode for her. And it, it fills me with feelings <laughs> and she works so hard and she's such an emotional mess. Please <laughs> got Atsuko a girlfriend.
3: <laughs> I love her so much. No, I, I really like Atsuko and like, like yeah, there's there's so much there's just so much there's just so much vulnerability to mm-hmm. her, and mm-hmm. and she has a really big heart, and like yeah. you know, and she honestly doesn't deserve any of the crap that is thrown at her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just trying. She's trying to survive a system that's not kind to her whatsoever. I mean, you have even what's his like oh, that asshole Ricardo <laughs> comes out of nowhere. Like he's just like like <laughs> mm-hmm. he's an asshole, but he but he, like but he acknowledges that like that she. You know she knows what she's doing, and he knows. Like if he's gonna get a promotion, he needs her labor in order for him to get a promotion. I'm like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> that you're, like you're taking you're taking advantage mm-hmm. of like of her labor in, in and ca- in capturing Michiko for your own gain. You know, like was
1: that how it went? I remembered it as him saying like if if we want to find Michiko, she's gonna come to you or eventually or something. I if I misremembered that.
3: Uh, no, like he implies that you know things are. Because of all this you know, I mentioned that like everything is gonna shoot like Atsuko in the foot eventually, so he might as well be around for it when like so yeah.
0: And there also seems to be the implication that Atsuko's not supposed to go after Michiko again. She's supposed to mm-hmm. stay in this new post. Yeah. yeah. She so
3: But she doesn't. She decides to just you know, she goes to find Michiko and she has that evidence of good old Hiroshi holding a tomato in the newspaper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm hmm but i this is more like i don't get atsuko like the last time she faced out michiko she could not mm-hmm. do anything she could not stop her because like just psychologically she couldn't do it so what is the value for her and like what what is she trying to prove here i don't understand at all why she would put her professional reputation which is tanked, <laughs> at further risk um to chase her friend who she knows that she can't she can't Kind of physically. I would
2: say it's because of their history together, um, especially as children. Because at first, I was honestly wondering, like, what could Atsuko possibly, what what is it, what is this kind of weird power dynamic between these two? Because no matter how you look at it, Michiko has always, you know, kind of just been has always just had this thing to one up her, and Atsuko has always kind of just taken it now Atsuko being in a position of power is kind of a way of her kind of not I don't want to say getting revenge but kind of trying to level the playing field and that obviously didn't go well so I honestly think at this point that's, <laughs> that's honestly I feel like for Atsuko it's just like a comment I want to protect this girl but screw her as well because she's making me really mad this is what she's done to me she's done this she's done that but at the same time we did kind of grow up together maybe I can understand her circumstances sometimes I honestly just picture Atsuko I can't remember what episode it was but there was one incident with Michiko where all I could think is I bet Atsuko went home and drank herself silly after this because it just made no sense. Like, all I could do is picture her just sitting there just drinking <laughs> mad at herself. And I could not stop giggling about it. Oh, my God. I wish I could remember what episode it was. But their relationship is honestly like, I, for, for as dysfunctional as it is, their relationship is the whole basis why I'm sticking with this show. Because it's just so much fun to watch while at the same time being perfectly frustrating. Because I don't think I've seen a relationship dynamic like it. Like I mean I've seen I've seen variations of it but with these two specifically it's just like it's it's a, it's it's all of the tropes of the anime woman that you could ever think of with these two. It's like let's give them every stereotype, every trope. We don't care where what genre it's from. Let's just throw it in there and see what comes up. And this is literally it. Like it's you could honestly see the same relationship. You see the exact same relationship in so many cis heteronormative like, you know, anime that are Geared towards men, where you have that kind of bro-bro relationship, that love-hate thing, and to see this with Michiko and Atsuko, particularly because I'm such a fan of Atsuko, because she's such a mess. Um, she really is. Just,
3: I, she's okay. It is. It's like she's great. You want to sympathize <laughs> it's, it's, it's with her. Why- it's it's wonderful because the thing is when you think about it, Michiko and Atsuko don't really have a lot of scenes together, no. b- right? But w- when they are together, like a lot is said without them having to say anything, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and that's like, and I think it's that dynamic and that what what's unsaid is what keeps me invested in in the relationship between the two of them, you know. So, and yeah. I just want Otsuko to be happy. She deserves Mm -hmm. it. Like, God. Like, Like, please.
0: Yeah, I I, I think, I also think maybe her working things out with, and trying so hard with Vanessa is her trying to rehearse how she'd like to fix her relationship with Michiko, which makes me really (laughs) sad.
3: (laughs) Yeah. oh uh, oh,
0: um that and that was i i think i meant to bring this up when i was talking about the other thing is that like at the end vanessa is going after her boyfriend but like the text of the episode we have is like an adult woman provides herself as a role model to a younger woman and that's what's going to be really helpful to her life even after this shitty obviously shitty romantic relationship Mm -hmm. crashes and burns like her life will have been changed by this this interaction with another woman.
3: I hope so, because Vanessa acknowledges so easily. Ee- Vanessa acknowledges so easily that. Her, she knows her boyfriend's probably going to end up being a loser of a, mu- <laughs> a musician. <laughs> I was like, um, I'm like, like, then why are you chasing him? If you know, you he's know it's gonna,
1: hopeless. Why? He's going fail- <laughs> like, to be a failure. So. Oh no, oh. oh no, no. As someone who's dated a musician, I feel really about that. I mean, I think, it, I, think there's, I think there's something to be said for wanting to be with somebody who follows their dreams and support them. <laughs> so- I am secretly a bit of <laughs> romantic but (laughs) but I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with supporting a partner who's creative and not necessarily conventionally financially successful. I know, but
3: like, I know, but she's like, she's not even being that supportive about him. She's just like, yeah, he's not going to end up as a famous musician, but I'm still going to follow him anyway.
0: Also, he straight left her and like never sent word or anything. Like exactly, exactly. Like Like, that's
2: exactly how I'm looking at it. Like Like, you can support like I am too. I'm a romantic as well. And I, I would always be down to support my partner but at the same time if he had not left her i would probably be thinking that's so sweet and that's so pure but it's just literally like no screw this guy
1: i mean i mean i'm a lot less a romantic since dating music but <laughs>
2: apart from that the bottom line is oh,
1: you can speak from experience. the bottom line is
2: all the men in the show are terrible that's it that's it yeah <laughs> it
3: yes yes, yes uh, which yes. does like like even the little kid, what's his name, Lenin. Lenin. Oh my god! Like I mean, yeah. Can we talk about that? Yes, that
1: was not super fun. That
0: that was definitely a thing I wanted to talk about. Is is this episode these this crop of episodes has a lot about how various toxic ways that men view women, which is something Yamamoto comes back to in the woman called Fujigomine, and I think that's interesting. And I would like to talk about that. So yes, do the thing.
1: I did not enjoy that episode as much as I think I was expecting to um, this him pursuing Hannah so kind of strongly and it she's really young and she's on her own and she's physically running away from him and he's running after her mm-hmm. and it was not comfortable and I didn't it just felt like, again, they're setting this script that people follow because they think it's romantic. And we've seen this in previous episodes. So, and, you know, this isn't out of nowhere and it wasn't jarring per se. But it was just another, oh, yeah, we're really socialized into these things from a very young mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: because... I. I I think what threw me off is like, wow, this kid has so much internalized toxic masculinity, (sighs) but he comes off as kind of like charismatic and smooth. But he doesn't... He does not listen to Hachin when she's constantly saying, no, don't Mm -hmm. touch me. Like, Mm -hmm. get away away from me.
1: It's like... Take your gift back, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's like... And he's still kind of being a persistent little shit, so and oh that like and then uh, that goes back to his amnesia and it turns out he liked somebody else and like Hachin was just like that replacement of that girl who died. I was <laughs> like what? <laughs> it's
0: I kind of love that
1: is the thing. <sighs> oh. <laughs> of course you do. That is very on of brand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I love this idea that that this kid has so much internalized toxic masculinity that he's going through all of the motions that this this like the only thing he gets right is the book and everything else is is just these generic gestures that Hanna repeatedly says she's not into she doesn't want she runs away from him he doesn't alter his behavior at all he just carries on along this thing and then it turns out she wasn't even the girl it it, it doesn't matter it's <laughs> a girl her personhood matters not at all yeah. to this yeah and then he fucking <laughs> dies, and it's great.
3: <laughs> wait, wait, he died off screen? I did not see that. He died? Because
0: well, he vanishes at the oh, end, just... so I was under the impression that like he died in the explosion. I did explosion. not get
3: I, that from that scene. I just thought he walked away, and it was supposed to that be was traumatic.
1: <laughs> oh, wow.
2: Oh, I'm sorry.
3: Now,
1: I'm
2: sorry. I feel like a terrible person for laughing now, but just just the enthusiasm behind that.
0: <laughs> no, it's amazing. <laughs> So, so yeah, like, I, I it, it is not, it's interesting because the lighting is so very ethereal and heavenly and there's a lot about paper books Dreaming. and he turns into a picture book because he is also yeah. not real and his vision mm-hmm. of this girl is not real. But also I just, as this image of this is how a boy treats a girl when he's not actually looking at her, I think it's a really smart <laughs> script.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, throughout the whole episode, it's like a dreamlike like state like he looks at Hachin in that way he thinks about the uh, the theme of the book in that way oh my god i even wrote down the summary of what the hell that book was about like he like he talks uh, about her as the, in the same breath as the parrot the pet yeah as a pet yeah so it says like the story here is like the story of a, uh, it's like about a little bird and the bird of a little kid that travels to a destination that the world they desired i'm like okay so like, I don't know. That's the whole description of that story sounds <clears throat> uncomfortable to me, but okay. Yeah, oh gosh, like, you know, and I, I don't know how I feel about that ending. I mean, Hachin feels hurt by the end of it. I'm like, well, this was your first love. This is, yes, yeah, so the start. First
1: love? Whoa, 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 would we say, would we say first love? First love, about- I, <laughs> I don't know, first crush, whatever, but. It just ended up with her crush. I just, uh, again, I'm taking the least generous interpretation. I I, I, I took it as he kind of stirred up complicated feelings in her because she's not used to attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: like, I don't know, just by the end of it, I was just like, like i don't know i put that as a question Pardon. mark the first love i don't, I don't know first love I, I look at my, i'm looking at my notes i'm like it's a question mark in
1: the end I'm, no it's i am super critical like, of the use of the word love and it does get thrown around a lot more in uh, in japanese than it does in english yeah. so it's probably a fair assessment
3: i mean in the, end, in the end she ends up crying and i'm just like i do the only thing i got out of this episode is like i like the tender moment between her uh-huh. and ichigo yes. when you know she, finally yes mm-hmm. oh they hug each other i was like yes more of this please no more hitting
1: but like of course they're going <clears throat> to bond over a guy not being there when they want him to be like of course that's going to be the point of connection that's
3: them. so but, sad and that, was, uh, that is so yeah. why
1: does everything have to be about men especially shitty men oh, I... <laughs> so, but, was, but that's well, That's like the first time we see Michiko really relate mm-hmm. to Hachin where she guesses what's wrong with Hachin where usually Hachin's just like angry and Michiko's mm-hmm. like what's wrong with you I have no clue <laughs> Whereas this time she actually, she actually gets it and she's like, is it a boy? And then she's just like sympathetic and she's she, she's actually kind of big sisterly or motherly or whatever role she's supposed to be filling mm-hmm. in that moment because she can connect to Hatchin's issues and her issues are all to do with this absent guy. So... Yeah, it was it was Um, an uncomfortable watch. Like, I think it was completely appropriate and I think it fits in really well. And it's very interesting, but I didn't
2: know.
1: Yeah, no, it was totally fair. No, it really wasn't. Honestly,
2: because like, well, at the present, well, as of just as of yesterday, I was living with my sister and my younger nephew. And I always, especially now having a younger nephew, especially in a family full of boys. And I mean, he's like three now. And I'm sorry, a family full of women. Like, I always pay attention to how younger boys tend to act and how we okay and excuse certain things yes. and you know oh well case in point case in point the big thing that really triggered me this one thing there the one the summary of their relationship michiko and this fool's relate or excuse me Hachin and this boy's relationship <laughs> excuse me so many complicated <laughs> relationships i can't keep them straight is that it- it's pretty much the whole, oh, well, if he hits you with a soccer ball, like, it recess in the face, he totally likes you. Like, no, why? Why Their whole relationship is everything that we're teaching young girls that is okay to expect from men. Like, no, this is not okay. So, like, I feel like part of me wants to check my younger nephew, like, now, where it's just, like, where do I begin? Like, because I see things that are just not okay. And I'm like, should I begin here? Should I leave this to his mom? Because I'm starting to see it. But it's, like, so seeing that, like, especially seeing that, it was just so perfect. That I would see this episode while I'm while I was still living with them because I'm just like oh god this just makes me so much more comfortable because I was picturing my nephew the entire time I had a face to put to this little jackass so it was like <laughs> don't do that don't become that I was just looking at him just like God no please like give me wisdom what can I do to help make this kid not be like these
3: men in here it, it it's It's, it's honestly, it's honestly hard, like, because I'm a, I'm a tia of, like, I have two, I have two Mm -hmm. baby nephews, right? Yeah, me too. And, like, Mm. and I'm, like, I look, I look at them, and I get really nervous, because, like, there is a lot of machismo in the Mm -hmm. the community, and, like, my, and I worry that, I worry that they will internalize a lot of that, that behavior, because I sat down with my nephew the other day, I was Mm. just, like, I don't want you to be that kind of kid who can't cry. I want you to actually be expressive. Because you know, I s- and I, I'm seeing it a lot in my baby nephews, and it's kind of really disturbing. It's like, as an aunt, like, what can I say to his mom? And then, like, fi- finding that like that fine line of like, what mm. can you critique mm. and not critique? I mean, I I do sit him down and talk about like toxic masculinity. He looks oh. really confused, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, listen, like, I don't like, I don't like. Hearing that, hearing about your behavior, we're going to talk about it. It's like, oh no, Thea. Yes. It's like, yes, we're going to talk about it. You know? Isn't Cute. it? <laughs> Cute and good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: You know? My baby nephews are two little white boys. <laughs> so, because mm-hmm. I'm mixed race and my sister's kids, like, they picked up the white being <laughs> bad. So they are extremely, <laughs> extremely white young children, extremely white young boys. And so, yeah, that is absolutely on their mind. They're a bit too young at the moment. Like, they're kind sort of three and under. Um, But as they get older, I'm definitely Mm -hmm. concerned that I'll notice things that my sister who kind of she kind of shares my broad politics, but she probably doesn't share as many of them as I would like. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, just if I spot something that I think is a problem, how do you you express that, how do you communicate that? But it's so important because it really doesn't take long before the things that children have internalized start becoming more external and part start becoming part of their their everyday personalities and mannerisms and it's it's terrifying how young it can show for sure
3: yeah and it's and it's always jarring for me is like how this whole mentality is like we have to like 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 i I listen to the older generation talk about the way like my mom talks about my baby nephews is like oh boys are like like boys are like boys are stupid like they have to be looked after because they can't take (laughs) care of they can't take care of themselves it's just like my my little niece who's like Three years old, like she finds herself looking after her older brother, oh. uh, and and I'm and I'm and like you know, and I'm like and my mom, uh, my mom made an observation the other day saying it's because she, because she's a girl, she has to mature faster than him. Like what? No, like, what? Why?
2: Oh, I'm like, but
3: why? Like, why can't she? Have a no,
2: because for some reason, <laughs> oh. just hearing that makes me think, okay, well, when she gets older, what are the chances that she's going to get with some emotionally stunted man or partner in general who's going to need him to raise her? And it's going to be like, no, like, I see too much of that.
3: No,
2: I see so much of that.
3: I, I know. Ugh. I know. I know too many emotionally stunted men in my life in terms of family. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want. I don't want the little ones to absorb any of that, but I'm just like, oh, I like, <laughs> <this>. <laughs> like oh.
1: have there been any good men in Midcon Hatchin so far?
0: Not really. Uh, the, 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 no, th- the Nina thing is, is, is definitely matched up by, uh, Jim. I think his name is the, uh, the swords the the sword thrower guy sorry? who also we <laughs> never see his partner he just she is an unattainable object who he thinks he knows what she wants though she's definitely gonna, he he's definitely gonna kill this woman and that will make her love him for sure
3: sorry are we talking about are talking about like the assassin uh no
0: the there's uh well there's gyro the assassin who is the uh I would call older a good man. I mean,
3: it's it's
1: right there in his job title. <laughs> uh, no, no.
3: Wait, who are we talking? Because are we talking about? Wait, wait there's one legitimately there's a- good guy. He's a don performer who shows up later, called
1: name. Yes. Nave. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, in episode seventeen. But who are you talking about, right? Yeah, who are you talking about? Yeah, the 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 guy whose wife left him,
0: and so the, they contract. Him to <laughs> sounds like article. a great guy. <laughs> It's How do you not remember this? There was a whole highway chase. That episode is fucking great. Oh, that guy. Oh. That guy.
3: That other assassin, yeah. they, like, uh, Satoshi sent to um, sent to kill Michiko. Uh-huh. Like, Vrai. Yeah. He's an assassin.
1: Like,
3: Yeah. What, what, oh, I wrote down his name because he was so pathetic. I asked for
1: good men and you came up with a murderer? No. <laughs> no. I just... No. <laughs> do not go to Vrai to be match made, wait, people. Wait, his... Vrai is not the
3: one to ask. Wait, Vrai. Right, like, um, his name is Murano, the samurai. Like... You know, he's that, pathet- yes. he's that pathetic guy who was, his wife left him. He was crying. Yes. Under-
0: no, he's not good. I just think he's interesting. I, I just think it's interesting to pair that episode with with the, uh, the Hana one because of, like, cross-generational shit. Oh, oh gosh.
3: That guy. Okay. So- oh, that guy's <laughs> ending was awful. It's
1: not even good to him. <laughs> so have there been but any good men yeah. in Michiko and Hatchin so far? Wait.
3: Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Nei Feng Yi is good. He's good. He's
1: wonderful. He's, he seems like a help. He is the, the good man, I'm guessing. <laughs> yep. Okay, episode 17. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Score box ticked. (laughs) Like, let's let's
3: talk. I actually want to talk about Yi and Mm -hmm. and his son, Debalg. Like like I'm like finally someone who's positive. (laughs) My standards are so low. (laughs) Um I Uh, Okay,
2: I definitely want to get on these two because for me it was so enriching to see a and i will just i'll just i'll just use a general just term for or just a person of person of color just so openly accepting of their child being this way because in the black community you don't get a lot of that you really don't like something such as homosexuality or anything that is anything related to queerness in general or maybe affiliated with queerness or femininity when it comes to men is so looked down upon in this and it's so it was refreshing to see these two And just their relationship, and this little boy is who he is being, he's being who he wants to be, and he's being allowed by, not even being allowed, but he's being accepted as his father, he's not being allowed to exist, he's, you know, just generally existing, and his father's just like, cool, awesome, you know what, I'm kind of, I'm into that too, no problem, no big deal, let's do this together, let's support each other, we may not get along from time to time, but you know what, here, like, that's what, that's what I love their, I love their relationship, I really did, that was that, uh, that was the aspect of their relationship I really, really did like.
1: I mean, it's still, it felt to me like this was quite culturally mm-hmm. specific, though, because uh, it, Yeah, I, I
0: was under the impression that, that oh, this was a Chinese community. Yes, yeah, it is. I missed
3: that's that's that. Okay. Nei Feng Yi is a Don performer, uh, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. like a Chinese, so was a Chi- it's, a, like, it's like a form of Chinese soap opera and a lot of the, like, the fem roles in the in the, um, the stories in the opera oh are i kind of missed entering. that one
2: completely i'm so sorry so, um, <laughs>
3: but still like i i do agree with jacqueline that i really love that um mm. his father was uh, like uh, the, the kid's name is bebel like bebel's goal is to like mm-hmm. be a great dawn performer like like his dad but you know but i still but i still it still doesn't take away from me how much i enjoyed seeing like bebel being in a home environment where he's mm-hmm. loved and accepted in terms of his gender presentation. Yes. And, you mm. know, and it's r- so refreshing to see that in the show, especially since <laughs> we've, we've had really shitty representation of men in this show. <laughs> um, yes. And, but hes it's not that he's not messy either, because um, Bebel tells Hachin that, you know, his dad used to be an alcoholic. You know, his dad was a mess prior. Like, I, I'm not sure if the, the, the mother left because mm. of that. Like, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if she died, but still. Like, um, mm-hmm. but still, like, his father cleaned himself up, right, f- from, like, from uh, all that the stuff he was going through to be a better father for his kid, to be a better performer, And like be a better Don performer. So yeah, and I mean he even goes out of his way to help Hachin, who he sees like is like a stranger to mm-hmm. the neighborhood that he's living in, right? So mm. it was just nice. It was <laughs> just wonderful to see him just be him. Like he was, he didn't have to help Michiko get out of the c- that crap about the passports but yeah. but he did, you know. Because mm-hmm. like I would I don't know, he loved the picture that Michiko and Hachin took together of like being silly and mm-hmm. that just reminded him about his own family and, and his relationship with his with his uh child. So, I don't know. I just I loved so much of that and I was like, "Thank you. Thank you."
0: They're they're really sweet. There is kind of that interesting tension where where Baybel's like, "My dad's not gay or anything," mm-hmm. which I don't a, I don't think is necessarily true, but it's also interesting to to see that like even this this femme presenting kid who's 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 training for this role, who probably has a queer dad, is still like dealing with these these toxic masculinity and heteronormative issues. Like it's it's still a really soft, gentle, I think positive environment, but it's it's an interesting tension. Yeah,
3: he's really defensive about his dad and. I just found that and there was that one scene when he starts crying and then there was like this weird binary gender reversal between him and Hachin where Hachin was like I don't know like taking on like mm. the mask role or whatever like I don't know I just found that to be some I don't know I, I found it to be interesting but yeah mm. but yeah there's still mm-hmm. a lot of internalized issues I think the kid's going through but at least I hope his dad will be there to answer any questions or thoughts he'll have in the future.
0: I also feel like we should um, maybe mention just in at least briefly, not my lane or anything. But this this is the second time that Michiko and Hachin has had Chinese characters show up who speak who have really broken oh, speech I didn't patterns, catch that. and it only seems to be Chinese characters. And I die a little mm-hmm. uh, because there, there's the uh, the restaurant owner in the third episode, oh, and no. then the mob boss here. I guess that
2: says a lot because I really didn't the, catch that. No, let's talk about the fact right. that I didn't catch that and didn't see why that might be
0: problematic so it's really only been Chinese characters at least as far as I've noticed in the subtitles anyway
3: yeah like that's definitely mm-hmm. an issue like I feel I feel mm-hmm. like that kind of I, I can like I can't speak I can't speak for it too much but there is a mm-hmm. lot of anti-Asian sentiment in the into in the Latina communities in general I mean um, I don't know when I see all of that it just reminds mm-hmm. me of like all the shitty things I've seen in my life about it, like, you know, like, there's the derogatory term, like, chinito, right? Like, if you're born, like, with, if you have smaller eyes, like, oftentimes your elders make comments, oh, the best and chinito. Oh my gosh. You know, like, oh, the baby's so Asian-looking. And they, they do the, the squint-eye things. So, mm. yeah, wow. so, like, th- that whole that whole narrative just kind of reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: from yeah. Yeah. from my perspective, the big problem mm. that we we face as english-speaking viewers i mean i'm i've only got access to the document. oh yeah i'm willing to bet that the person voicing those lines is not mm-hmm. asian american i'm pretty willing to bet that that's not the case i haven't looked at credits but just a guess just a guess um mm, pardon me. and that that is a problem now granted i i know
0: that you can't always tell somebody's somebody's uh, heritage from looking at them but the The character who voiced, uh, the, the actor who voiced mm. at least the restaurant owner early on uh, was a blue eyed redhead. So, like,
1: mm. yeah, mm-hmm. I feel much more comfortable listening to people um, mimic accents from within their own family, I think, as a general mm-hmm. rule, and like mine that for comedy based on personal experience than this is me doing a Chinese accent, even though I don't know if I'm related to anyone Chinese. I haven't grown up with, with the accent around me. I'm just doing a stereotype of a stereotype. And that's that feels a bit uncomfortable and I mean mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit in terms of the um the rest of the cast actually and I think Lizzie you were talking about how well they've represented voices and accents that you've heard in mm-hmm. your community and I feel like we we want to make sure we extend that to all of the cast and I, mm. I'm not sure that they did extend that consideration when they were casting yeah yeah like
3: like I don't know. In the, in the con, I can't speak on the dub because I think we've talked about that a little bit in the beginning yeah. about how I think for the most part mm-hmm. all the except Satoshi's uh, voice actor, mm-hmm. I forget his name, but uh, like um, for the most part, everyone was like white. That black,
2: surprised or, me when I, I found that out. That really changed. surprised me, but it made me so happy that they also cast a black woman. It did because uh, I don't, Mexico. I don't, oh, well. yeah. I don't know enough black women or femme or, or and femmes oh, really? in voice acting like in voice <laughs> acting as far as anime manga and in general so to see that is so to, to find that out is just more reason I love Atsuko so I was excited so I mean it was just interesting to see that but when you're talking about the anti-blackness that comes across in a lot of anime when it comes to dubbed version portraying anime it's just almost kind of, mm-hmm. I don't want to say ironic but it just seems kind of like a sick joke that this so this huge, enormous part of their culture of Asian culture that has affected us so much is kind of you know are given like almost the most subpar I guess voices when it comes to something like that, i'm I'm losing my train of thought, but essentially, I just think it is kind of really shitty that the same courtesy was not extended to the same to these to the, to the voice actors, to the English dub voice actors, which makes me wonder how many Asian characters are actually portrayed by Asian voice actors and why we don't have more of that as a thing you think that'd be a given but it's not
1: yeah mm-hmm. and when you only make sure that your casting is consistent for the leads it does feel a bit like tick boxing i think mm-hmm. um, but and i think we can safely say that this was the case in japan too there is a huge japanese brazilian population in brazil oh yeah i'm pretty sure that like, i'm just guessing again i'm just speculating nope. but i'm gonna go ahead and guess and speculate that not one of them was cast Oh. as a voice actor for Michiko and Hachin. Mm. You
3: are right on that, though. Like, there is a huge Japanese-Brazilian uh, population in Brazil. Mm-hmm. I think there's even a movie about it, about I, Afri- Like, um, oh, I forgot the name of it, but I heard it was really good. But, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, people often forget that, La- yeah, Latin America and the Caribbean have huge ties to, like, East Asia. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a huge Japanese mm-hmm. population in Peru as well. Like Chinese folks are there too, representing Korean folks, right? So, that's a that's also a, narratives are not often heard about or talk or talked about. Like I've seen some shorts are starting to come out here and there, <coughs> but you know, mm-hmm. gr- it's it's happening gradually. Like those voices are making their own
1: narratives to make sure that they're heard. It's just a level of uh, what's the right word for this? It's a level of. In- kind of sensitivity towards cultural concerns that i think hasn't quite hit uh anime casting in general i would say i think that's probably as true of here i say here sitting in england um i think that's probably as true of english-speaking anime fandom as it is uh in sorry not of the english-speaking anime industry as it is of the japanese anime industry i don't think they're doing any better Like, okay, great, we've kind of tick boxed our our lead characters and made sure that they are ethnically connected, I guess, which is better than nothing. But it does feel like tick boxing when, you know, two episodes later, you have a Chinese chef Mm -hmm. by a blue eyed redhead who presumably and I do apologize if this is not the case, but presumably does not have family ties to China. So there's we could be doing better. I think there's more work that could be done there to make it more authentic and hopefully, we'll see that work.
3: I notice in the Japanese too, like the characters speak in like a broken, like Japanese, like broken Japanese, especially with the early, the first um,
1: Chinese character that we see in the show. Yeah. So I mean, I doubt they will have. Yeah, we. Um, I doubt they will like have introduced I, an English. Yeah. A, a, an English broken Chinese accent, if it wasn't there in the Japanese, but japan's yeah. kind of racist too so yeah that's what <laughs> yeah that's mm-hmm. what i was
3: gonna bring up because i do know there's like this tension with um other like east asian countries especially china and like korea mm-hmm. but i but i can't speak on that because i like someone who is from those communities can probably speak on that way better than myself mm. or anyone yeah. yeah
1: i mean you have you have kind of <coughs> white people who go to japan and talk about like racist Japan, they stare at me everywhere I go. And it's like, okay, no, actually look at the people of Asian origin who live in Japan and see what they experience, see what black people in Japan, see what they experience. It is much more difficult. There's actually um, a while back, and when I say a while, I mean like 20 years or something. um, I think the Japanese government tried to bring Japanese Brazilians back to Japan because they have a huge problem with the labor force. Like the the population... Mm -hmm disparity that they're facing where they have an increasingly aging population and not enough young people being born to replace them Mm -hmm. um it's causing problems in their workforce and they're still trying to limit immigration because let's be honest kind of racism so the fact is that they're really struggling. They're not engaging women in the workforce. They're not engaging immigrants in the workforce. And for a while, they tried this compromise where they brought over Japanese mm-hmm. Brazilians because they thought, well, if they've got Japanese blood, then presumably they'll find it easier to fit in. And it <laughs> didn't work. So there is actually... The, the, the kind of race in Japan is a fascinating topic. And this yeah. like it, this would be a really like interesting perspective to take and I would love to hear what Brazilians think of Michiko and Hatchin. I'd love to hear what Japanese Brazilians think of Michiko and Hachin. And yes. It's it feels like we don't really have access to those voices at the moment. Whereas if they'd cast mm. them or they'd they'd included people on the creative side who do have that background, we would hear more of it. And I say up front, I don't know if that's the case. I haven't looked into the production history at all. So if I'm wrong, and there are actually people who've spoken about this have that background I would love for people to link me to that I really want to know
3: mm. yeah like I'd like to hear all those voices and like I hope mm. we're, we're able to get access to that and I think that's a conversation you mentioned Amelia that could be that could be had in the future about folks you know, mm-hmm. ja- like Japan's relationship with other East Asian countries and how that looks because yeah folks from those communities can speak on that better
0: mm-hmm. please yeah. pitch to us at <laughs> NFM we <laughs> have a submission form please we <laughs> yes. would love that uh, I guess we're a little over an hour, so not to cut this amazing conversation short, I'm sorry, but to, I guess to bring it back around, um, next time we'll be heading into the finale of the series. So how are you guys feeling and what are you hoping for in the wrap-up?
2: I want closure for Michiko. I want, clo- I want closure. If anything, I want closure and I am hoping that I get it. I just want closure. I just want Michiko to walk away. I want... Michiko to walk away and kind of walk or to walk towards Atsuko and kind of realize, okay, you know what, maybe if, even if we don't resolve things between us, you know, I still can respect a lot of the stuff you've done. But of course, like, that's like herding cats. That's like an impossible thing that I'm asking for here. So I would just like as much closure from the series as possible. I'd like to see Hana's happiness, and I'd like to go see—I'd like to—if I could go through the rest of the series without Hiroshi again, I could, I'd be content— but I just want happiness for Hana, and I want closure for Michiko, and of course Asuka.
3: Okay, as for me, it's been fun pretending I haven't seen the series. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but uh, what my predict, what I really hope is like, mm-hmm. I I want like a, because this this show is so hard and like in terms of it's so brutal in terms of its its world and reality, I'd like to see a, a, a bittersweet ending, like I want an ending where like. It's mm-hmm. like the show's called Michiko Hachin So I, I want an ending when it's just the two of them Ideally Atsuko too But I don't know how that <laughs> w- like Yeah so but yeah I'd like for that to be the ending Because for them to realize and Especially for Michiko to realize that in the end of the day You know you're mm-hmm. forming relationships With other folks who are way more valuable And way more important than what you had With Hiroshi you know And I just want I, I want her to genuinely move on mm-hmm. because so far like this 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 pedestal that she has him on is just not not healthy for her and it's frustrating to watch.
1: Yeah I think that the, the longer we watch the more it feels like Michiko is something that Hachin could become if she kind of goes down the wrong path if that makes sense and it feels like it feels like they're they're drawing parallels between them a little bit so like with the with la nina her story there like that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of her first time dealing with this sort of bitterness towards a guy because she doesn't seem to have the same bitterness towards hiroshi that uh, michiko does Uh, not well michiko doesn't really have bitterness towards him exactly but i'm sure she does and i'm sure we'll see that Mm -hmm. in the next five episodes but it feels like Hannah's being put in this position where she does kind of face these trials and tribulations and if she kind of lets it get the better of her, she will end up being mm-hmm. as how to describe Michiko? She'll, she'll end up being kind of all the hard edges and darkness of Michiko and I don't want that for her. I want her to be able to have a different future where she is more independent, where she is independent in a way that is suitable for her age and level of development because she's been independent and like she's been exploited um and she's been kind of manipulated and that kind of thing and she's been (laughs) attacked and it would be nice if she ends up in a situation where she's able to to be independently learning independently developing herself that kind of thing and we don't really see that with Michiko and so I'm hoping that maybe even their paths diverge but Hannah is headed somewhere better and Michiko is headed somewhere better and I don't think their betters coincide. I think this might be the story of two people who are together for a period of time and then at the end their paths diverge and they're better for knowing each other and they've moved on in their respective stories but it makes sense for them to part. So I think it is going to be bittersweet regardless Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed these, (laughs) these episodes. I think there were a few in particular that I really liked. Um, so yeah, this... it's yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I think the first half of the show is good and strong and well-written, but these are the episodes that I think of when I think of the show and why I love the show.
1: Yeah, I can mm-hmm. understand that. But I do hope that we get some proper closure. And I mean, this whole the whole series has felt really Cowboy Bebop to me. And you can say many things about Cowboy Bebop, but it does have that kind of finality to ending, and I'm hoping that we get that though mm-hmm. possibly in a different way but I'm hoping that we get that sense of yes this story is complete this chapter is done people are moving on whereas mm-hmm. cowboy bebop itself the series to me feels kind of like people are in limbo and they're stagnant and in a way Michiko and Hachin feels like that too they're not really moving on once you mm-hmm. elevate Hachin out of her child abuse situation she's just kind of getting more and more frustrated and she's not really getting a <laughs> chance to develop. So, yeah, I would like to see them both break out of that and actually feel that they've moved on. So, in agreement with Jax basically. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's only been 3 months in the story's timeline. Like this, the oh, wow. the show the show the show started in March and then we're somewhere in May right now. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> a lot has happened in these 3 months. Yeah. <laughs> quite
1: quite a lot. <laughs>
0: Everything happens so much. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to discussing the last set of episodes and, and kind of the series as a whole with you guys. I just, this I'm so glad that this podcast M happened. It's good. <laughs> you're, you're all very good.
3: <laughs> you're very good too.
0: Oh, N- next time. If you're, if you're watching along with us, that'll be episodes 18 through 22. So just watch the rest of the series. Uh, until then. You can fi- If you liked this episode, you can find more podcast content on our SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash animefeminist, I think it is, or just yes. search animefeminist. If you would like more of our written content, including articles by Lizzie and Jacqueline, you can find us at animefeminist.com. Um, our Patreon, which helps pay the bills. We're trying to pay our editors and break even. Every little dollar helps so that we can start bulk- thinking about bulking up our content, paying our contributors more, which we've always wanted to do, etc. and so forth. You can find us there at patreon.com slash animefeminist. Or if you want to follow us on social media, there is facebook.com slash animefem. There's animefeminist.tumblr.com. And there's twitter.com slash animefeminist. Uh, we always love hearing from all of you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Amelia and uh, Lizzie and Jacqueline. Thanks again so much, and we'll see you all next time.